Good evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog, from Fuga A to Fuga Z. But this episode is a bit different because joining me today to discuss the entire soundtrack to the documentary Instrument, released in 1999, is a person who, at least on this podcast, needs no introduction other than for me to say his name, Brendan Canty. It's an honor to have you on the show. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing, Ian? I'm great. I'm very excited. <laughs> I'm especially psyched to uh, to talk to you because you're the one member of Fugazi I never met in person. Um, although I did once grab one of your sticks from the stage at Fort Reno after a show, so let me know if you need to send me an invoice for that or something. <laughs> That's right. I, want, I just want it back. <laughs> just bring, give it back to me soon. I've been playing. I've been playing with one stick for the last <laughs> 25 years. Oh, man. Well, before we jump in, I just wanted to ask for our listeners who may be concerned, you know, how are you faring in our nation's capital during these interesting times? Everything going okay with you? It's really pretty fucking stressful down here. I have to tell you, it's like totally like at this point, I'm sort of wondering, you know, when the other shoe's going to drop. I know the the other, I think both shoes dropped last Wednesday, but if, if you... Just what could go wrong? There's lots that could still go wrong, you know. Um, and and if and driving around is downtown, anyways, is the you know it's not even worth doing anymore. But um, up until Friday, I guess it was you could you could almost get around, and now it's just totally locked down, and you need like ID to get across town and things like that. So it's really it really looks like a war zone completely, which. Surprisingly, it is. <laughs> Total war It's actually a war zone. For context for listeners, we're recording this January uh, 16th. Um, this will probably come out in uh, a matter of several weeks. But uh, yeah, it's uh, we're before the inauguration still. So who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Before the, the possible inauguration. <laughs> no, no. I think I actually think it's going to. It's, I think he is actually going to get inaugurated at this point, but it was yeah. definitely, um, I mean, that was really close. I have friends who work, you know, in the Congress and the, the more, and they have serious PTSD at this point. I mean, you know, guys who are sheltering in place with, you know, all those, with the Congress people for seven hours, you know, um, and it was really a matter of minutes before they would have, there would have been serious bloodshed, I think. If they yeah. had gotten in, so it, it's it's shot. It's I mean, if you're wondering if the people closer to the event are less traumatized than you, no, they're more. They're by far more traumatized, and they're and it's uh, as my friend put it, he's like, and you know, it feels like somebody came in and smashed all the windows in your house, and instead of cleaning it up, you're just walking on the broken glass. Jeez, and I was like, oh. Yeah, I know, because he says that, you know, all the people who sort of aided and abetted that this destruction are still there. They're still serving. They're still, you know, it's a complete disaster. So I'm fine otherwise, though. Everything else groovy. I mean, <laughs> happy to have my fam, my, my family. I have my dog. I have my three cats and I have my four chickens and we're all doing fine. Oh, yeah. I didn't know you kept so. chickens. That's see, <clears throat> we're already getting interesting uh, tidbits. I, I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Keeping chickens in the city is the way to go. It's easy. They give you an egg. Each of them gives you an egg a piece a day. You always have eggs. 
and it's cheap and they're hilarious. So <laughs> I strongly recommend keeping chickens in the city. Right on. I'll keep that in mind. Well, sweet. So, Brendan, you've done a lot of interviews in your time, but you know, maybe something unique to this one is that I think we can assume everyone who listens to this podcast already knows all the background info on the band. So I can refrain from asking you to rehash for the umpteenth time, like how you met the other guys and so forth. So as far as I'm concerned, we can really yeah. skip to the nitty gritty and talk about instruments and its soundtrack. I, I remember when it first came out, um, I wanted to ask you uh, off the bat, like I assumed that you know, I got my VHS copy in the in the mail and everything, and I watched it. And I think I assumed at the time that it was really Jem Cohen's project, and you guys just sort of opened your demo archives to him and let him rummage around and choose whatever music would fit his vision. But I subsequently came to understand that it was really more of a collaborative process than that. So I guess I'm asking in a general sense if you'd like to talk a bit about how you worked together, what the process was like, what the, where the idea came from to do the film in the first place. You know, all of the film aspects of, um, of instrument started uh, with Jem Cohen. And Jem and Ian had been friends for years. And actually, Jem grew up in the same neighborhood as I did, Cleveland Park. And his older brother was friends with my older brother. And, you know, I, I, I you know, he's on my radar from a fairly early time, but he's four years older than I am. So he and Ian were in the same uh, same grade and graduated together at Wilson, which is a high school that's just a block away from where I live now and where my kids have all gone to school as well. Um, so um, it's a very, in a very roundabout way, I'll, I'll just say that when Ian, um, when we started playing in Fugazi, Jem... Um, showed up with his eight millimeter camera and we were playing in, um, you know, the basement of discord or Guy's parents basement or wherever, like Jem would have, um, just an eight millimeter, um, film recorder and would just, you know, he just filmed every time he was around. And anytime we came close to New York, cause Jem was living in New York at the time, Jem would, um, he would show up and film and that just got he was just into the documentation of it now Jem also was friends with the rem guys and did a lot of video work with with them did a lot of their backdrops i think on the green tour he did a lot of their the the um the live show images and he's you know he's a he's a brilliant filmmaker he's a brilliant shoot brilliant shooter um if you ever I mean, I would say anytime you have, if you ever have a project that needs um, needs to be shot, he's the guy who's going to do it from the from the heart and get you the most interesting footage almost every time. I've I've used him on a lot of different video projects that I've done. You know, later in life with Wilco and all these bands, I've I've done I've used him on almost everything. He's always my number one person um, to to hire um, for that, and I also I love his the work that he does on his own. So um, I think his methodology is very much the same as it was back then. And that he got, he gets very, um, he has, has, is a very visual, um, I, this is such a dumb thing to say, but he's a very visual <laughs> person. I mean, <laughs> he really, he really, um, I mean, he, he is just, um, 
engrossed and passionate and uh, about the, you know, beautiful images. Um, and he gets attached to them and he runs with it. So he collected a bunch of footage and instrument came out, you know, around our 10 year anniversary. So that he had a lot to work with by that point. Um, and I think also by the end he was, um, yeah, I'm quite sure during that time he was also, we were funding his, you know, larger scale filming it. Like when we played at, um, Roseland ballroom, he brought out multiple cameras and lights and things like that. So there was, there was, there were times when he wanted to document things on a larger scale that we were, that we said, okay, well, that's fine. We're going to pay for it. You know? So we, we paid for everything in that regard. And in another regard, he also was able to get a certain amount of like, editing time for cheap or free and had, you know, people helped us out quite a bit because video can get quite expensive. But anyways. Yeah, that Roseland footage in instruments, by the way, I was just saying to somebody else, it's a shame. It seems like there's so much footage of you guys, but there's not a full, like good quality uh, audio and visual, good quality concert recording of you guys. Uh, That would be awesome to have. I wonder, like, I wonder if Jem could ever... You guys could just put out that whole show. That would be pretty rad, in my opinion. There's a couple. Of, there's a couple of shows like that. I mean, I think there's the show in front of the White House where we had multiple cameras on that. I think that's really great footage. Yeah, that's true. Um, there's just a few times that people came and showed up with like two or three cameras, um, but it was a different. You know, it was different times back then. I mean, number one, Jem was shooting on film. Right. Which requires a lot. It requires light. Like these days, it's you know everybody's phone or um, video camera or DSLR like reacts to light in a totally different way, and so you can shoot in the dark basically by candlelight if you wanted to. Um, but not back then. Back then, um, there's a reason why everything sort of looked like the last waltz. It's like everything has to get bombarded <laughs> with these big horrible lights, and we did too at Rosalind. We used big big lights, you know. So that's part of it is that we, you know, and we, and I don't know, I think that there was, I, I always, I'm always hopeful that we'd be able to put together more of that footage into another uh, project. But um, I also think that people should take our live tapes and put them onto the video that's out there as well. <laughs> Just yeah. to up the video quality. I think that would be good. I keep wanting to do that with certain shows. I actually have four track recordings of some Rites of Spring shows and One Last Wish and things like that, and Nation of Ulysses. And I think I should really put that four track stuff to the video that's that somebody else shot, you know, a million years ago that has terrible audio on it. That would be um, amazing. I, so a lot of people out there yeah, would dig that, I'm sure. Isn't that an awesome COVID project? And here I am about <laughs> to get vaccinated. <laughs> oh, good for you. Nice. Let a whole year go, let a whole year go by without getting, uh, Without doing that one thing. Um, but anyway, so Jim just started showing up at our practices. You know, anytime we were anywhere near him, I mean, he's really like, you'd be in the van with us. He was really, a, you know, a friend and a member of the, uh, you know, really a member of the band. And in the same way that our, you know, Joey P or um, Jerry Busher or Alec or uh, or Mark Sullivan were, who were like our roadies and, and sound people. <clears throat> so it was nothing to have him around us. Um and he just started collecting and collecting and collecting. And when it finally came time to actually like, um, 
want to do something with it. You know, it's, um, I mean, I just, I think there was a certain amount of, um, like a balancing act that I think people wanted to maintain with, um, not just letting somebody, you know, have not just letting him do whatever the hell he wanted to do with the footage, but actually wanting to uh, be involved in it, in it enough to actually, you know, um, put forth what we wanted, how we wanted to be represented. Um, so it really is, I would call it um, mostly Gems movie, but Guy, I, I will say of, of everybody, I think Guy worked on it more than like like he did 75% of the band's work on that you know I mean, we went through certain things and we talked about it and we decided on things together but Guy spent a lot of time in New York with Jim working on it and those guys are really very tight and still are yeah. to this day yeah I believe um, somebody I've talked to went to an event recently where uh, Guy and Jim sort of appeared together in New York, uh, maybe for the instrument uh, anniversary and just, you know, did a kind of Q&A about it. Um, I wasn't able to make it there, but yeah, it does seem like they were really tight on that. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, it's great. I mean, I, I, it's, I, I think there's a certain amount of collaboration that you can do on film and, and, um, but it's a lot to ask any director to work with, with, um, even one other person, much less four other people. Right. You know. Yeah. So, so I, I think that you have, we had, we had to, um, you know, it's either going to be productive or it's not. You know, and it's like the too many cooks thing is definitely something that can happen where everybody just has different angles, and then it, then it just doesn't happen. The whole thing doesn't happen. I'd rather have something come out that has a very, you know, a point of view that's maybe not necessarily my point of view, but it just feels like something. It feels like somebody's point of view. It feels collaborative. It feels beautiful. And, um, but it doesn't have to represent like my little 25%. You know, I'm not worried about yeah, that. Yeah, totally. Makes sense. Um, yeah. As far yeah. as the so, soundtrack you know. then, was it, um, you know, so it's interesting, of course, the soundtrack is composed of all these demo versions and also sort of studio outtakes and not even studio outtakes, just like practice space uh, outtakes, um, things like that. Um, was it ever considered that you would just use like your studio recordings from your records for the soundtrack or was was it sort of always a plan to, to do this kind of thing? I don't think there was ever a plan to um, necessarily use the the outtakes of this for the the film, but I I think we we definitely um, once we I mean we always we still have demos and things and and by demos I mean like we recorded constantly. I mean part of the idea. Um, in 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 having a recording setup was to sort of integrate it into your writing process having the recording be part of the writing process have the writing process then be possibly part of the finished product process where at some point i really thought we'd be able to just put out things finish things in our basement we, we we and we definitely could have and this record is the closest we ever really came to being able to finish um, a piece as we were writing it and put it out. I, w- I mean, we were looking, thinking of like the band Can, and that was a big part of their process was they would record and record and then use those things to 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 
as their finished product. And so um, this, you know, I it wasn't necessarily um, the the way recording ourselves initiate initially started. Um, mostly, it started early on because I thought that we weren't that we were sort of like letting things get away from us a little bit. Um, and so we were recording on this like boom box, but it was like <clears throat> cool sounding, but not, but we couldn't necessarily discern what everybody was playing on it. You know, it made life a little bit more difficult. So we, I, I, I bought, um, Eli Janney's four track from him and, um, set it up in our, in our space, um, which was I, I think the four track probably came out of Gia's parents' house was the first place we we brought it out, um, and I and I would just set up the you know bring up mics and set up in front of everybody and then um, went and keep the keep the the four track next to me and then when we we would jam you know we'd we'd work for three or four hours at a time and we'd jam on something and if something started to sound cool or interesting I'd hit play and record right we didn't record like the whole practice but we'd record these parts just like hit 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 it fill up a tape um then I you know I'd give it to Ian and Ian would mix it down he would when we ran uh yeah so he would mix it down into a you know a stereo and do a stereo cassette and then give us all copies of it um and so we have these like lots of snippets of us jamming but but like not super random, like kind of chosen specific things that we kind of happened upon in a lot of ways. Um, so they weren't necessarily, it was some, it, it was a way to um, catch our process sort of midstream and really try to, um, and it was a way for me to like have some say in the process, you know, yeah. for me, I was like, it was, it was a, as a drummer, you know, who doesn't have a guitar in his hand and doesn't, you know, like I, I tried to, there was a couple different ways, which I tried to exert myself or insert myself into the writing process. And that was one, one of the ways, um, was to actually, you know, try to get things that I loved that were fleeting down onto tape. And another way was to actually go home and write shit and bring it in, <laughs> write shit on the same four track and bring it in and play it for people mm-hmm. and see if they would, um, respond to it. So, um, that continued on, you know, we, we'd all, we, we used that process for a while. Eventually we got, <clears throat> um, an eight track recorder, um, as, as did I at home. Um, and, and, and then we, got it more set up and a a lot of the stuff on this i actually don't think there's anything that's um on the sound instrument soundtrack that's from four tracks but there are is is plenty from our eight track um tascam well let's see it's a tascam 58 or 38 i'm checking out the liner notes right now and uh it looks like which are pretty thorough yeah absolutely like it's sort of an outlier (laughs) for fugazi in that way Oh, by the way, you mentioned Guy's parents' place, <laughs> which is Broad Branch Road for the people following along with the liner notes, right? Right, correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's some... I don't have the liner notes in front of me. I should write it. I should write I should get it, but my my records are in a horrible state of <laughs> of um 
No, that I had to I had to move out of my studio during COVID, and so all my records are like in these. Very, they're protected, but they're stacked, and I can't get to the box with the Fugazi on it very easily. So, no problem. Um, if you have questions, I have liner notes right here in front of me. Uh, for reference, well, I actually I actually called up I call. I called up Guy before this, and he kind of went through with me <laughs> about a half an hour ago. We went through them all, and I was like, "I was like, oh yeah, when did we do this? Did we do all these these four? I mean, we did like like the Pirate House ninety seven, the Arpeggiator, and Foreman's Dog, and Closed Cat. Oh, Foreman's Dog's not on this record, but the Arpeggiator right. and the um." And the um, closed caption, like those are just Guy and I on those. Those yeah. are just. Um, yeah, something I wanted say, to ask you about. With, yeah, yeah. It gives, it gives specific credits for like who's playing what. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, I wasn't talking to the mic. Yeah, uh, there are specific credits for who's playing what on each track, which is pretty cool. Um, I wanted to ask about you and Guy in particular, by the way, because. You know, Fugazi as a band was, I think everyone thinks of them as such a tight unit. But then even within that, it seems like you and Guy were like a collaborative team um, a lot of the time. Uh, What is it about like Guy who is just sort of your, seems to have been sort of your go-to guy to like toss ideas around with? Well, he was, we were the same, we were, we were the same age almost. I mean, he was a little older than I was, a year older than I was, but we were, we were friends as opposed to Ian and Joe, who are four years older than us. So Guy and I were in, you know, he was friends with me back when I was like 15 and 16 years old and when I was in Deadline. And then we started Insurrection together and then we were in Rites of Spring together and then um, One Last Wish and Happy Go Licky. So we were in lots of bands, four bands together before Fugazi. And then... um, and we lived together. I mean, we literally, we'd be on the road. In Fugazi, we'd be on the road for three months. And we'd come home and we'd sit next to each other in the morning for breakfast. You know, I mean, it was one of those <laughs> things where it was like... Got it. Utter, it was, you know what I mean? Like, it was like... And he was just like my, you know, he's my best friend at the time. So um, we shared uh, a, a, a passion for records and super... You know, musical nerds, we also had an extended group of friends who we were all tight with. I mean, we were all like, and not not to say that Ian and Ian and Joe weren't like a part of that necessarily, but, you know, we definitely um, came into Fugazi at, with our own, you know, with our own history. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so when we got, when we got, when we started... Um, when we started playing in Fugazi, it was, you know, it was, I'm sure people have said this before, but like we were coming, kind of coming from really two different camps. Um, and I think it was, it was hard to, it was hard to get, you know, I'm really glad Guy got involved with it because I, I really wanted to be, you know, I wanted to do whatever I was doing, I was going to do with Guy. And so it was really important for him to, to um, be a part of this band. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have lasted in the band for as long as I did. As much as I love Ian and Joe, I was like, I, you know, some of my, I guess probably because some of the, my more, most meaningful 
experiences in music were already at that point were in Rites of Spring. Hold on one second. I got to take sure. one second. Hold on. Somebody's at my door. Anyways, I'm 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 trying to describe this as like something that where I I don't want to like belittle I don't I don't want to like belittle the way Ian you know Ian and was writing at the time right so it was just a different after Rites of Spring you know we were we were really on you know we went into um, one last wish and then and then um happy go licky and in happy go licky i felt like we were really on the precipice of trying to do things that were really much more experimental and so for me it was like um you know but it, um it was from going from something like that to fugazi was a you know it was it, i initially was like thinking well you know i'm just going to do this for you know, to help out Ian and to be <laughs> for a little bit, you know. Um, but then it, you know, I don't know. It, it, it is a matter of, in a matter of a year, we were like a fully functioning band and Guy was in the band and, you know, things changed very quickly. But at the time, like, I think it would have been a, it was a bit of a shock for Guy to, um, to try to think how to insert himself or how to be a part of this band. And which I understand because I was like, as, as a drummer, it's a lot easier to play drums to things, you know, than it is to, um, play guitar and music, play music and write music to, to, to music that you don't necessarily understand where you fit. Does yeah. That make but, sense? Uh, absolutely. So, and I, I guess it all worked out for the best because yeah, you became quite a team. Like, and I, we've commented before on the show about how just like that thing that you and Guy added. I think we we were recently talking about just the first EP and how sort of like waiting room, kicking things off, seems like a little bit of like the the Ian and Joe thing. And then at the end, you, you're at yeah. Blue Man, and that's sort of like the crazy poetic wild Guy sort of sensibility uh so they make nice bookends to that first release well the tension between them i think and is is really i mean ultimately much to both gee and ian's credit they were able to like collaborate and and though it wasn't always easy it was like it definitely they found a way to do it and i think that the the the, the times that we shared i mean really like I mean, I this I don't I don't want that story to to end without me say also saying that you know that being in Fugazi was by the by far the most um, fun and rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. So it's like the the fact I mean the the I mean musically, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just in case my kids are listening. Yeah, totally. Um, the, but the. <laughs> But um, no, I mean, the, having having um, like I'm very grateful that they found a way to work together. That we all found a way to, to to make it work, and that was and part of the and the process itself was so fluid in so many ways. After that, and once once Guy got his guitar, picked up his guitar, and was like in the mix, and we were all like really properly writing together, um, and and the fact that you know Ian. Ian and Joe were open to that and the fact that, you know, everybody collaborated and, and contributed um, 
the that just that made the whole made it uh, much more like you're trying to catch you know baseballs flying at you all the time. Like there were just at that point, it was a lot and a lot of ideas coming down the pike all the time, and that was that was what was the sort of the, the to me that is the the um, the proof in you know that that you're in the prolific aspect of 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 your songwriting is proof that you're doing the right thing that you're with the right people and that you're playing the music that you know um with the people you you want that you should be yeah for sure and something that i think uh, a lot of people value about the instrument soundtrack is it gives us a little bit of a peek behind the curtain into that collaboration and one of the big impressions it makes yeah. on me as someone who's been in a handful of bands, like writing songs myself, is like, you know, when I would play around and come up with something that it didn't seem like it could really turn into a song or at least a song with the right sound for the band I was in, I would just kind of forget about it and I wouldn't keep playing with it, let alone develop it into just like a little tune and record it. Um, but all over this record, there are little things that there's some things that don't seem like they could have ever really become a Fugazi song, but you guys went ahead and like, forged ahead and made them into something and you know mixed them and uh, stuff like that anyway and it strikes me that maybe one reason why you guys were able to keep making great music for so many years and many would say just continue to make better and better music is you pursued these little flights of fancy and sometimes they would actually turn into a Fugazi song against all odds or if not it would at least <laughs> keep you creatively fresh like does does that sound right to you yeah I think so I mean I think that the I mean I think part of the part of the whole process of being in Fugazi was like learning your craft in terms of recording yourself as well. I mean, I think there was a, a lot of experimentation because um, nobody had pro tools at that point, you know I mean? Yeah. You had to like, you, you know, you're doing it on reel to reel and eight tracks and on a soundcraft board. And, you know, maybe you have a, a, a delay, maybe you have a, a reverb, but really what you're trying to do is get good sounding recordings um and so you're setting you're like in some of the stuff i remember setting up like ping pong tables like you know for gobos you know and just trying to get like you're just trying to you're just trying to learn that because um because that's the key to everything to me i mean like and i still i still i mean that's i still love recording um and recording bands and i do it all the time but um it was, it was a process, you know, of, of, of learning, learning that and learning from Ted nicely and learning from Don Zantara and like learning on bigger and bigger equipment. But, um, but the truth of it is like, you know, as evidence on some of this, like in the Guilford fall on this, I think the Guilford fall on instrument soundtrack is better than at least better sounding than the one that ended up on the record. So, um, uh, you know, and Pink Frosty, and there's certain things that we that where I can hear. I listen to this guy. Listen to it today. I don't I actually don't listen to this, but I, I did listen to it today on my dog walk, and I was like, and and it and it really made me. It made me. Um, it made me happy. It also made me think that like you can actually hear us thinking. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. number one. It's you know, it's close. It's close to a. Uh, it's as close to improvising as we get on record, but. Um, but yeah, you definitely hear us thinking and and putting pieces together, and you hear people individually reacting, like you're Ian and Gee reacting to things, and um, it's really it's fa it's a fascinating listen. 
Um, for sure. And the Guilford Fall, I, I think, is just great because you can really, it's so minimal in terms of, you know, it's just two guitars, drums, and bass, but it's, you can definitely hear the band, like, using what they have to, like, create, you know, like, sonic differences and building and, to, and kind of doing the thing we're trying to do almost on every track, which is to build and build and build to a climax and they're sort of, it's like, um, sort of a lot, you know, trying to use the logic, uh, trying to, trying to use the sonic space to create impacts. Yeah. Because on, on Guilford Fall too, it's not only the instrumentation, but it's like, it's, you're just jamming on one chord basically, at least in the beginning and finding ways to right. make that interesting. Um, exactly. Would you like to go track by track and see if you have comments about any of these various tunes? I can, I can, I, I can, I, I could probably, um, yeah, I know Pink Frosty, you know, was, you know, named after the Chills song, um, uh, Pink Frost. And that was just because we were so in love with that, that song. <laughs> oh. So it's just a, a real, real moody. Do you know the Chills song? Pink I Frost? don't, I've never heard it. Great. That's, that's good to know. I'll yeah. put it in my notes. <laughs> it's a be- it's a beautiful song. A New Zealand band, okay. Right, yeah. I was super. We were super, super into the Flying Nun records and all the New Zealand records over there. The 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 Chills and Bailter Space, and um, um, yeah, there was there that was really um, those were some of the records we were listening to back then. Um, and when we went, when we finally made it over there, we went to the um, Flying Nun Records um, offices and took a pilgrimage there. Um, I'm trying to think who else was on Flying Nun. Um, I'm going to look it up right now while we're on the phone. You, we can edit this part down. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at the Wikipedia article Good. myself right now. Kiwi Rock. I've never heard that term, but I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, they were. I guess they were in in New Zealand. So uh, yeah, not Australian, but we were listening to a lot of Australian music as well. But New Zealand. Um, oh, and the Verlaines, who we were lucky enough to meet um, when they when we played in in Auckland. Oh yeah, David Kilgore is on Flying Nun. Um, it says Pavement was on their well, roster they, they, in the mid-90s. They, they, started putting, they started putting out um, lots of stuff. Yeah, nice. <laughs> back then, they, they they were like a real real record. Oh, The Clean and The Great Unwashed and The Dead Sea. Well, tal- The Clean did like tal- Tally Ho and everything, everything can happen and it could be right now. Yeah. Anyways, so that's 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 where that comes from. If you listen to the the Cleans version of Pink Pink Frost, you'll kind of get a similar vibe out out of the sonic quality. Yeah, I think a lot of people would say maybe Pink Frosty is the most atypical Fugazi song. Do you, would you agree with that? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> um. I don't know. No, I don't know. I don't know. It actually sounds like it actually sounds like um, Ian's guitar playing on it. You know, so in that way, I would say no, but just because it's it's just kind of moody, you know. But that was the moodiness we were kind of going for. And yeah. at the time, you know, we were experimenting with like 
you know, patting down the, you know, putting tea towels on the snare drum and close miking the, um, I had this one crash cymbal that if I really close mic'd, I mean, within like an inch or so of it, um, you could, you could get that big, big, um, sound. You get this big, like hollow gongy sound just if you hit it really lightly. Hmm. I still, I still use that, that technique sometimes, but, um, it's a very moody thing. So it's, I think that is mostly like three, three, like a kick, a snare with a tea towel on it, and then a really close mic um, cymbal. So you should try it sometime. You play drums at all? I don't, but that's this is why I like to talk about yeah. uh, talk with drummers because I learned so much that I had no idea about. I was actually just recently talking with Andrew Lowe from the Jazz June, and he was talking about recording at mm-hmm. inner ear and how they sort of put him or or the 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 drummer on a drum riser and like mic'd the bottom of the drum riser. Is that something you did? Was that a, mm. like an inner ear staple? I actually had them build that riser because there was initially like the drums were sitting on a, it's a very small riser. I mean, it's only like six inches tall, maybe, maybe not even that tall, but we were, we were, but it was basically like we were recording on concrete and I was having a terrible time when I had my drums at home recording in the basement on concrete because it was just, it doesn't absorb any of the low end. The low end just starts getting crazy. And, um, and I just was, I just had a, like a, you know, just a bad feeling about it. So I asked him to build like this little, yeah, this little wood riser so that the, you know, it's sort of like having a music box and, uh, you know, separate from the box itself, you know, the music thing once you put it on something it resonates and i really wanted the drums to resonate you know if you put a drum on you know every stage is different but if you put a drum if you put drums on on wood in a hollow wood in hollow wood it actually will resonate more so that's that was where that came from yeah that was when don first opened the second inner ear at first you know like waiting room and all that was recorded at don's house in his basement in his kids playroom so that was all you know, which was his studio. His basement was his studio, but it was also his kid's playroom. And he also, so there were all these toys around everywhere. And it was a really small room. I mean, it's a very, like his house is, a, you know, was just like this little house, um, like a sur- little suburban house. Um, and so like the, you know, it was mostly like the, you know, the, the, Guitars were coming over the drums enough that you'd have to like space them out so they were in stereo. <laughs> you know, I mean, it it's it was a uh, it was um, an amazing place. But it, um, when he finally moved over to Inner Ear, the big the big one where he still is, it was a huge change. Speaking of Don, that's that's him saying the following is for reference only, right? On the uh, Pink Frosty yeah, demo, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think he's also at the beginning of Shaking All Over. Aha. How about for Lusty Scripts? <laughs> is that you screaming, We're Rolling? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm listening right now. <laughs> I'm interested in all these little details. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's me. Yeah, that's me. And that's, uh, I love that Lusty Scripts. It's really cool sounding. Something that's uh, a little Easter egg that people have pointed out is at the re- recording of your last ever show, uh, London 2002, you guys sort of jam on that when coming back uh, for the encore. There's just a little bit of, I think, 
Maybe it's just you and Joe jamming on lusty scripts. Yeah. I mean, if all he would have to do is start playing it, and I would start playing it with him, I'm sure. I mean, I think it was just one of those things. Yeah, we have plenty of things that we would pull out um, in the, in just those, uh, like any interstitials between songs and things like that. Those the, that, that thing would come up every once in a while. I do remember that. For Arpeggiator... Uh, again, just you and Guy on this one. That full track is one of my favorites, probably my favorite instrumental track you guys did. So cool. Yeah, I, I, I wrote the, the the actual arpeggiating part that... Um, that... You know? Yeah. So I had my pan in this really... And I was... And, um, and was doing it to drum machine. And then, and then we... As we... That was on... At, pirate house up on in um on irving street and so we we and he he we just started he he just came in and did that uh, line on top of it so <laughs> i like how the credits also say that gee plays drum machine bass drum like <laughs> that's funny i don't know he, he probably was doing it by i was probably i probably i have this one old yamaha that's one one of the recurring sounds on all this stuff is I have this old Yamaha um, drum machine that I bought from Don Zantara when he was when he's moving. I got this old Korg synthesizer and the Yamaha drum machine for like I gave him a hundred or two hundred bucks for it, and um, and it ends up. I mean, it really only does a couple beats because <laughs> unless you know how to program it, which I never was very good at, and I still have that thing, but it's. Um, but it, it's it's all over this recording and and that so we would we, yeah we would uh, we would I would usually use that as just you know um, as a click track and then record on top of it. But just by doing that and recording on top of it, it started like brought us into the realm of you know turning into like a two drum band because yeah. we started writing with that alternate rhythm, you know. Um, yeah. So the the. Uh, but yeah, I could totally see Guy playing kick drum on top of it. I think it's a, that's a very funny credit if that's yeah, the way it's it put. <laughs> <laughs> One other interesting thing about this track too is like it's got stuff that seems like it would never really be on a on a proper Fugazi record. Like you have this tremolo effect on the guitars, you have this flange effect on the drums. Well, I don't think it was necessarily. I don't think I'm. I'm not really sure. I mean, this is like one of hundreds of things, right? So it's like I don't think it was necessarily like with the idea that it was going to be a Fugazi song. Yeah. It was just writing. You know, we we're just like writing and writing towards. You know, experiment. It's all experimentation. So that was like you know, um, that nece- like we were. I think we did. We did that one. <laughs> Let me see what what else we recorded that day. I think we recorded um, Arpeggiator Foreman's Dog also that day, closed caption, either that day or the next day as well. And then the song Golden Vanity, which came out as the Blacklight Panther, which is, he put out a record of, of those things. Um, yeah, which has a lot of similarities to um, to closed captions. Well, closed, closed caption is on there. That's from the same session. So that's just us as well. Is that what you're asking? Well, the, yeah, the instrumental called Golden Vanity from Blacklight Panthers is like super similar yeah. to the closed caption demo. Yeah, it's all the same. It's all the same thing. We're just trying to play like jungle music, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, just like layering drums and trying to, you know, we're just 
like seriously fucking around. Um, and, but you know, honestly, like using your studio as like a lab and messing around like that and layering drums and beats and, and just shooting for stuff that doesn't, is not necessarily in your comfort zone or that might not necessarily have a life in your regular band or whatever is the way that you progress. Honestly, I think like, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't fuck around and you don't like experiment and like, that's what, that's what this record really says to me. It's like, without like Ian playing so tired or, or like us playing, uh, you know, closed caption or arpeggiator or like mess, you know, messy around, you don't get, um, you don't, like you kind of have to get either it's not like it's like you're getting out of getting out of your system but it's also just like keeping the joy in your in your playing and your collaboration like stoked you know what i mean like you need to keep that fires burning however you can and like allowing those things to come out and so you can point to them and say look that's who I am as well. Like I know, I know nobody, nobody's going to like it, but I, I like it. <laughs> yeah. Know? But it turns like, out, I mean, you mentioned I'm so tired. Like that's amazing. It's, it's amazing to me how a track from the middle of a soundtrack became so widely known. Like there's so many people out there on YouTube with doing covers of I'm so tired. Like how did this happen? Yeah. I'm, I kind of imagine everyone who loved Fugazi played that song for their friends who didn't like Fugazi well he's like you know check this out you know that kind of thing right I don't know cream I you know it's a it's it I I think in some ways it it makes more sense now than it did back then you know I mean I think that there was like at the in the middle of like Fugazi when things were like all you know when thousands of people were showing up to shows and we were and it was kind of hectic and fun and all that stuff like the song i'm so tired didn't make sense to yeah. me necessarily as like a like the fact that it's on this record as opposed to a regular fugazi record is kind of weird but at, but having but now it kind of now now it makes sense and not only does it make sense it's really friggin' beautiful so i you know i don't know i mean i thought it was a nice song back then, but I was like, you know, kind of like weirdly kind of uh, like a little sad, you know, for yeah. what we were in the middle of, for what we were in the middle of. It's like to say, okay, well, we're so tired. <laughs> you know, It just didn't necessarily make sense to me, you know, but that's, but like I say, you know, um, now, now, you know, you can listen to it and you're like, wow, that's really amazing. Somewhere there's a version of that where I come in on drums, which is much worse. And it didn't make it. <laughs> it's fun to imagine Ian as like a pop songwriter. If, if he had tried to lean into that and made his career about that, like, I think he could have gone places uh, even even yeah. in that uh, kind of thing. Because he's, he's got some real amazing melodic sensibilities that come out and tracks he like does that. it comes it comes out on this record a lot actually yeah you know the um it's sort of well afterthought uh, is maybe a little similar because ian's yeah. playing keyboard on that it's like it's funny I, it reminds me of maybe an old educational film about like industrial processes like it has this crazy sound to it yeah um it's, yeah it's so cool do you remember what ian was using like what keyboard that was yeah, it's a keyboard. It was my it was my keyboard that I bought off of um, off of uh, Doug Birdzell, um, who was the bass player in Beefeater, 
And if I, I think, um, I, I don't know exactly. I mean, I got rid of it because it was so bad. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just like, it was, um, shit. I'd have to, I'll have to look it up. Um, I don't even know how to, how to look it up on the internet. Um, I want to say it's a, it was a Yamaha and it was brown, but, uh, it, I don't, I, you know, it was, it was very, let me see if I can find it here real quick. I, okay. I think it might, I'm looking at these pictures. I think it, oh, weird. It looks like, so it looks like kind of like a clavinet. Oh yeah, here it is. I think it's a CP, a Yamaha CP 30, huh. I think. Yeah, so if you look it up, um, and it That's was just great. this big, oversized electric piano that never, ever sounded good. It just sounds <laughs> super cheesy all the time. I love tidbits like that. I recently spent a ton of time trying to figure out exactly what tuner Guy used live and like used it to jam. <laughs> so it's cool to have the oh, yeah. actual model for all these like little weird things that you guys employed. Yeah, did you, did you find it? It's a... Uh, Korg Digital Tuner DT1. Is, do they still make them? Oh, I don't think so, no. It's like one of these DT1. orchestral recorder things that gives you a little reference note. Oh, yeah, I'm looking at it. That is the one. You're right. <laughs> yeah, I, I spent like I spent hours <laughs> doing so this. This funny. is the kind of Fugazi geek I, geekery I get into sometimes. That's classic, man. <laughs> I love looking at that. <laughs> yeah. No, it's some, there's so much about this stuff that's just so f- true. I mean, it's just so formative in a weird way. Like going, yeah. like I, um, I don't listen to the Fugazi stuff that much, you know, unless I'm, I'm like asked to do it because there's something there's something like really deeply like especially these the songs on this record like there's something like deeply foundational about it. You know, it's like I I don't like it's like um. I don't know. It's a, it it brings up a lot of emotions, I will say, you know. Yeah. I mean all good, but it's, it's definitely like I'm definitely one who like typically likes to feel like I'm moving forward, you know, in a st- constant state of becoming. <laughs> 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 and um going back and listening to things is, you know, it's not necessarily a big part of my process, but this, at least I will say this record definitely makes me feel like it brings a lot of joy because I remember when we spent a lot of time, when we would practice, we wouldn't practice. We would write. It was all writing sessions until the week before we went on tour, at which point we would, you know, the week before we went on tour, we would practice the old songs and whatever new songs we were going to do. But for the most part, I would say 98% of the time we played in a room together, this is what we were doing. And the instrument soundtrack is very typical of what we would do, is just write and write and write and write and just go over things and record them and, you know, goof around, but mostly just try to come up with things, you know, because it's it's a long process coming up with a record that you feel proud of and feel like you're constantly, you know, pushing pushing yourselves forward. I there's I think what you're all typically looking for in the writing process to feel like 
like to go home after practice and go, we are doing something. We are doing, we are writing the best song we've ever written. You know, like that's like constantly the goal is to feel that way. Um, and to do that is requires a lot of, um, communication, a lot of, uh, um, collaboration. So anyways, that's what I, that's my gut feeling when I listen through the whole record. But, um, anyways, so do you, so yeah, so we're at afterthought. You want to keep moving through the record? I do. I mean, I know we're at an hour and you only promised me an hour, but I could keep going and you could. Well, let's just get through. Let's just go. Let's go through the songs. Anyways, I don't think there's like, I'm not going to have that much to say about everything. Okay. So. Yeah. If, if you um, have to go, like, just let me know and I can edit it so it doesn't sound like you're being rude or anything. Okay. So trios. Yeah. If trios. you listen to trios. I'm, I'm guessing the title is because there's no gi on this one. Oh, I, I don't know. That's a good question. I have, that's possible. He was engineering. He was there engineering it. He said. So um, it was in the basement of Pirate House, and it's this is a weird one because I'm playing melodica and it's my drum machine, and we're at Guy and I's house, and I it I don't understand how it came to be that we're just that we were that it was um, just Joe and Ian and I, you know? Yeah. So, anyways, surprisingly so haunting it, little I mean, melodica melody there. I I do love that. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so that, but it has, but it has that same Yamaha drum machine with that weird drums, that same beat that I use for like (laughs) everything. So, yeah. Yeah. Turkish disco being next. I mean, you were just talking about the, you know, the sense of joy. Like I, I so get that from this track. Like it's, um, this amazing joyful sound of the guitar interplay in the chorus. It's a, such a cool little jam. Um, Yeah. And I do know that it went on to become, uh, what was it? Hello Morning or number five? That's a... Oh, the um, the beginning of it, you mean? Yeah. The, what part of it? Yeah, I think it's just the opening. The opening part is the only thing we ended up using yeah. on it, which is that... I think that's the only part, but I don't... I can't... I don't really hear any of the other parts of it being used... Do you do you know? Are there other parts of it that got used in something else? No, I I never really got that either. So I think you're probably right. Yeah, I think the other part that boom, boom, I think it just ultimately just too too simplistic to live. It had to be killed. Yeah, <laughs> it had to die. Right. <laughs> I mean, the trick is when you're writing something that you're going to play every night is to write something that you don't hate after the third <laughs> time you play it, right? That makes a lot of no. That, that, that was exactly my philosophy. Like when I was in a band writing songs, I'm like, it has to, it has to be interesting enough for me to play on guitar. If it's not, I, I'm not. <laughs> I don't want to play this. Exactly. It's like a total friggin' mess if you don't like. We did it in polish, polish that song, and after a while, like nobody wanted to play that song. Right. Like we yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I was like, okay, well, let's not spend weeks writing a song that we don't want to play again. So, Turkish disco was definitely, you know, you could sense there were the great things about it, but you could sense that it was destined to die, <laughs> born born to die. Um, Thumbelina was just us you know, messing around and I think that was up in, I don't know where that was. Does it say where we recorded that? Uh, let's see here. Consult my resources. I want to say Gil, I want to say Guilford. It was Guilford. Guilford. 
Yeah, so Guilford, Connecticut was where, where it, Ian's grandmother's house where she, after she passed, we went up there and set up our recording gear and we're writing. Um, it was great. So if if there's one thing I wish we'd done way more of, it's to like sequester ourselves into a house in the country and like actually just spend every day together because it made writing so fun and easy. And I'm so tired and me and Thumbelina both came from that, this, that session, I believe. Um, and the um, maybe there may be other ones from the slowing down and speeding up effect. Is that like a manual thumb on the tape reel kind of thing you guys were doing? There's actually a you can actually do it by by hand. There's a little oh, there's see. a knob that yeah, that turns it down. It's fun. I like yeah. hearing your uh, bell get pitch shifted like that in that one part where it's like oh, yeah. it speeds up. You hit the bell <laughs> and it slows down. So it's like boom boom. It's so awesome. Sweet little part. Yeah, I know, and it's. It's 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 more it's just Ian's sense of humor, right. which is funny. I mean that's, I mean, I mean that's yeah. There's a lot there's a lot of goofy shit out there, and that's that's some evidence of that, of what we're, of the humor for sure. Or I don't know, you know how to describe humor <laughs> in in a in a band sense without sounding so lame. But um, don't be in a band that's not fun to be in. Yeah, <laughs> that's I think what I'll say. that's that's one of the things people loved about the instrument documentary overall is like you really showed off the sense of humor that you guys had in uh, some of the parts. Um, and yeah. they're like, oh, these these guys are, you know, their music's not funny, but they're they're cool guys. They're fun to hang out with. <laughs> yeah, that's clearly. what I was like. There's a great big, big sense of relief that we weren't assholes. <laughs> That was. I really felt like that palpably. That people were like, "Oh, good, they're not dicks." <laughs> um, the floating um, boy demo. I was wondering that before when I was talking about the uh, the finished track. Is this a, one of those cases where like the music sort of felt floaty, and that inspired the name, and that in turn inspired the lyrics that eventually were written? I think so. I mean, I can't say for a fact because a lot of you know, there's so many working titles that sure. Like epic problem, epic problem was is, was the title of that song because it, we could not find we could not finish that song for years. Like it kept showing up. We're like, well, <laughs> let's try it. Let's let's use. And they were they're always all the parts were always named pretty early on. But yeah, floating boy was was similar to that. It it was a onomatopoetic titling, I guess. Yeah, is what you'd call it. Um. I don't know what else. That's a good version, though. I like this version. So this is also from the same session that produced that um, the Guilford Fall that I like so much. Yeah, it's all this like when we were set up in, in Guy's parents' basement where we had the we had like that 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 was the, I think those all that stuff on that all the all the pieces from that recording period from August 96 are all some of the better sounding or best sounding things we ever did. Um, so yeah, ultimately like it probably would have behooved us to actually just use them on the record. It would have been cool, but we didn't. So yeah, that's why, that's why we had to put them out on this thing. Yeah. It um, turned into a super interesting song. Love it. Um, yeah. Thanks. Link track is next. It, it seems like the earliest track, 1987, I think it says in the liner notes. Let me double check. So, so, so this was obviously recorded. No, eighty nine. I'm sorry. In the st- in the studio. 
So it's obviously like recorded some. Does it say where it's recorded? In inner ear, right? Yeah, yeah, inner ear. If it's, and, uh, if mix, it's yeah, mixed if with it's Donovan, that early, it's 1989. Yeah. So was this would have been? Was this named after Link Ray? I don't think so. Okay. Um, and <laughs> I don't know why it was called Link Track, but I think it's. Uh, I think it was probably called Link Track on the tape because we probably um, did it to as an as the idea to have an interstitial on the record as an instrumental interstitial on the record. Right, to right. Link the two things together, but uh, makes sense. But um, yeah, I think that's my guess. I don't have a lot to add to that except for the fact that it's like classic Joe, Joe and Ian, you know, together. Yeah. Right. It sounds like, it sounds like there's something they wrote together. Right. Yeah. I would say so. Um, little Debbie was just, um, one of the, is anomalous in the fact that it's one of the only demo things that has vocals on it. <laughs> so many of our things just never had them, never had vocals on it. Um, yeah, I think that was Ian just winging it. There any real meaning to the lyrics? Yeah, the whole thing was just so so wingy. As, and it's also the kind of thing where you're like, God, this would be like it would be so great if we could just write records this easily, you yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, no, it was very you know you can hear him shouting out instructions to us to like <laughs> drop to the eight. That's what he was saying at the beginning. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I didn't catch that. Um, yeah, I guess it's also anomalous yeah, in that I, it would be the probably the only like corporate reference in a <laughs> in a Fugazi title <laughs> to a company. Oh yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> but um, that's it's actually yeah, it's not about Little Debbie snacking. So <laughs> yeah, it's Little like, Debbie's mom I don't goes know crazy. If I'm allowed, it seems like the <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'm allowed to say details about that. Honestly, because I think it's real, it's relatively truthful in a way. So it references a person. So I don't think I'm supposed to say anything about that. Well, um, just you saying guess. that uh, is is a fantastic little tidbit. So um, yeah, I'll accept yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> it, I think it's otherwise a story song. <laughs> Once you know that it's about a person and her mother, you can. You can just like fill in the blanks. <laughs> All right. You don't need you don't need specific details beyond that. Um, HB. I always kind of figured that meant heavy bass. Anything? Uh, am I right on that? I, I, that I I wish I could tell you. I'm really sorry. This is when people are gonna the listenership is gonna drop off and. <laughs> but um yeah mostly it's that's like a good example of a clean version of Ian's bass right there. Um, I mean, that's just the way that's, you can hear Ian, I mean, you know, his, his sort of sensibility on that of like doing, I mean, it, already, it, it sounds like bass, but it sounds like bass playing things that he wrote on piano, you know? Yeah. It has this like, it all, you know, it has this counterpoint to it. Um, and this sort of resolve and melody that is the same thing that he constantly has in his piano playing which is, you know, one of his greatest attributes in it is that he's always kind of digging around and, and, and in those, uh, in digging out melodies on, um, on the, uh, piano. So anyways, to me, that's what I hear on this. I hear, I recognize Ian's playing, but I also recognize his writing on it. 
we covered I'm So Tired pretty much. Um, yeah. There's the Rendit yeah. demo. Uh, just Gee. Yeah, that's this on is that one. W- this is a weird like I don't know I don't know if we rode I think it's funny because I I I really thought we had very few cases in Fugazi where somebody would bring in like a fully written song. So um, but it, this seems to be a case in point. Um, I know that uh, Do You Like Me was something that Guy brought in a tape of and was like, here's a tape of a full song, <laughs> you right. know? And it was like, I was like, oh my God, this is so great. Wouldn't this be great? Like if we just had tapes of whole songs, we could just play the song <laughs> instead of like building it, building the foundation up, you know, the house. It's like, no, somebody just delivers the house to you. <laughs> So, <laughs> anyways, the rendit. I think. I mean, if this, I don't. I don't know exactly what they. Like, I think maybe. I think it sounds like. I mean, I really don't remember whether he brought. Does it say? It just says home demo or something like that. Yeah, recorded in Guy's bedroom at Pirate House. Yeah, four track cassette. That's awesome. I like one of my favorite credits yeah. is Guy on dehumidifier percussion. And I, I hope that dehumidifier is still around. I said it should be in the Smithsonian someday. <laughs> it's really funny. Um, when Guy and I first, when Guy and I first, the first time I ever went over to Guy's house, I he and I re- filled up a 90-minute tape full of songs together, like literally when we were like 16 years old or 15 years old. And um, he had like this Fender Mustang that he had won. Uh, no, he didn't win. He bit into a piece of wood in a cherry pie at McDonald's <laughs> and they gave him before. and they you know this story yeah, and they gave him they gave him you know like whatever like two or three hundred bucks and he and he um <laughs> and he bought a Fender Mustang so by the time by the time I went over there like it was it's a cool old Fender Mustang but it was like totally like only had a a few strings on it or whatever so we just um he his brother had been trying to play drums, so he had drumsticks, and we had a a globe with a metal bass, and so we used the globe and the metal bass, and I played drums, and he played guitar, and we just wrote song after song after song, and they're just like you know songs about you know the trash can or whatever. I mean, they're just so ridiculous, but that's that remind you just remind me of it when you said the dehumidifier uh, <laughs> percussion because <laughs> I'm like. First time I ever played with them was globe percussion. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I read that somewhere too uh, at some point. That's yeah, that's so beautiful. Yeah. Creativity through limitations for sure. Um oh, I th- Amen. I think an interesting thing about this too is, you know, it, at some point obviously you guys decided that Guy would just sing solo over the beginning of the verses with like no music behind that. Uh, do you happen to remember oh, like yeah. <laughs> like it's such a it's such a startling choice. Um I mean, I don't know if I really have a question, but I, it's just interesting to think about how you guys settled on that. Are you saying you saying it's, it was an unwise choice? Is that what you're saying? No, not unwise. <laughs> just like it's it it confronts you, and you have to like deal with just this like this tortured yeah, I know, I vocal. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. harrowing. That's the word I'm looking for. But I think I think ultimately it just speaks to like at some point you know you're just right you're writing with an eye towards the other things that you've written you know that you're like what haven't we done you know at this point you know and um, that's something about the Guilford Fall version as well where I'm like okay this is a band like that's really utilizing 
um, the subtraction of instruments to be to to make their final point, you know. Right. Um, and I think that that's. I mean, there's a lot of that on all these on a lot of these recordings, including "I'm So Tired." But it's like, you know, let's let's take away stuff. Let's not just be like everybody. Play. I mean, the band the band Fugazi has never been a band that plays everybody plays all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always been about arrangement and how to how to how to use the band as like a singular organism, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But a, and a big part of a big part of creating impact is to remove things and then and then and and bring it back in. Um, I actually remember really early in Fugazi when like when we were writing with Ian and Ian was like, okay, I want the guitar. The guitar should be up front, and then the and then drums and bass come in like a freight train. <laughs> and it was like this really like I mean I was twenty or whatever, but it was like these sort of like fundamental ideas of how you make an impact. And it's like you remove things and then you come charging back in, you know, and, and, and reinsert it. And, and, and the instrumentation of alone should create a, a sonic landscape that's enormous feeling anyways. Um, so I think in a way that like that's just something that we've, all, we've always sort of utilized is um, it's, it's like the quiet, loud, quiet thing, but it's... Um, but it's you know more it's it's a little less like clean and then distorted it's more like remove and then bring back in you know anyways i th- and i think that aspect of it is when you're like that's when you're like oh look they're thinking about stuff yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can hear us thinking or over, some would say overthinking but <laughs> i think i think i can hear us thinking and just trying to like just trying to write a cool you know it's like cool a cool record that doesn't repeat itself definitely and the next one is the closed caption demo which we you mentioned this before but i think this and especially the the song that it turned into on end hits is maybe the clearest example of you like experimenting with overdubbing drum tracks and that that just came out really cool yeah it also got sampled did you know this got sampled by um rick rubin used it with uh with jay-z right yeah, with the Jay Z track. Yeah, that that pop the burner track. Did that did that actually get released? Um, I saw. I think I. Yeah, it, it gets out somewhere. Oh. I mean, it's on, it's on the Black album, I think, isn't it? Let's look it up. I have seen a video of of them like in the studio working over a sample of that, but I didn't know if it was actually released. Yeah. Oh, official unreleased song is what it's called. I don't know what that official means. Official unreleased, but it's called Pop the Burner. You said. Yeah, pop the burner. I did not know that. I'll have to so, check it out. I'll put yeah. I'll put it in the show notes for the listeners. Um, earlier, um, I I said that this demo of closed caption, like it sounds a little like a haunted dance hall from the 1920s or something. So that's another cool bit mm, of experimentation yeah. you guys did. It's called reverb. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> not overused in the Fugazi catalog. We do not use a ton of reverb. True. True. <laughs> Um, but yeah, again, that was just like he and I experimenting and actually at the end of it where it gets really experiment, like there's just layering upon layering. There's so many like little guitar parts that are coming in, in the background that must've be on other tracks. Then I think we're, we were just dubbing or messing around, but I, I hear all sorts of other guitar things from other demos that come in at the end. Right. Um, just of things that he and I were working on. So 
And then, um, anyways, in Guilford Fall, I don't know if you had anything else to say about that track, but I I did have a question. Maybe this is more of a gee question, but in in the end hits version, do you have any idea what the letters are that uh, that they're saying, like in between verses? No. <laughs> okay. I don't. I, I I wish I did. I don't remember. Then who's saying? When are so are saying letters? Yes, uh, like in between verses, it's it's something like L I T Y D. Like it's oh. it's this weird thing, and it's very hard to make out if it's actually supposed to be spelling out something. So uh, oh, I don't know. I shall put this question to Gee if I ever get the chance. Totally. Um, yeah. But uh, then, like swing set seems like obviously titled for the swung rhythm of of that track. Yeah. Pretty much. I, I, I definitely think like there's a lot of like that's one of those songs that I, I feel like sounds like the fall. Like there's a lot of like when it says Guilford Fall, like I think the fall is like a reference to the band The Fall. Like really? it's a, like, yeah, and Swing Set as well reminds me of like The Fall. I, I always assumed you guys just like wrote it in the fall or something. No, I just love. I mean, I, I'm we. I mean, I don't know about those other guys, but I know Gee loves the fall. But I really love the fall, and so um, you know, the if you if you if you start like the fall is like a they give you a lot of permission to experiment in terms of sonicness, you know. So yeah. to me, like that, you could just like their the wonderful frightening world and this nation saving grace which were came out in the mid 80s were really important records for me um so i think you know and when you when you're trying to sell an idea to people like saying that you know it's kind of like the fall <laughs> they kind of get you can you can kind of get things sold to the band quicker if you if you do that um awesome. So, anyways, that was one 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 thing that I I I I'll always tried to rip them off as much as possible. <laughs> That's great, um, great to know. We did a whole uh, episode recently on Guilford Fall, but that didn't occur to me. So, thank you. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't actually sound Guilford Fall doesn't actually sound like the fall, but the swing set sounds like the fall to me. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's- it's a bit jazzy, so but I, think of it. I do feel like that could have be, swing set could have become a full Fugazi song. Like it has this sort of tonality to it that I don't know. I can't describe. Totally. It. Yeah, that could have been. A and thing. it was different. It was different enough that it should have been. I think. So yeah, maybe maybe on the uh, follow up um, album to the argument that's going to come out any day now. So um, yeah, look for it there. Shaking all over. Shaking um, all over is just shaking all over. I mean, Johnny Kidd and the Pirates. Outtake. Yeah, we were just fucking around. I think. Do you guys have to pay royalties for that? I don't. I'm not gonna. I'm sure we do. Yes, of course we do. <laughs> all right, forget I and said that's, anything. That's and that's me singing the shaking all over in the in the choruses. Um, and then slow crostic. When I was listening to it today, I was thinking about. Um, do you know the band Eddie and the Subtitles from L.A., the punk band? And they did a song called American Society. Do you know that song? Never heard them. We should listen to it at some point. Um, it reminded me of American Society by the middle class. Uh, this version of it. Not the not the one that eventually came out. But it's it's really like the American Society is just one of the great songs of all time. Oh, sweet. I'll put that in the show notes, too, and uh, check it out myself. Please do. It's great. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Uh, slow cross. It's interesting. Just from a um, you know, it, 
track listing standpoint, this is the track that opens the film, uh, but you guys put it last on the soundtrack. It's a terrible closer. <laughs> you think I so? Think. It's. I think it's a. I think it's a very good opener for the film. Yeah. My thought was that's a terrible closer, hmm. but what do I know? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter. You're at song number 18 at this point of all instrumental tracks or primarily <laughs> instrumental tracks. Yeah, if people, people stick with you that long. Pretty right? happy, pretty happy to have whatever is your last song be your last song. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyways, well, I, th- I think that's that's. I mean, I wish I had more to um, to add to this. I'm just like to me, like the big takeaway for me personally was just like it reminded me a lot of the actual process of writing which is so joyous and like actually like learning how to record ourselves and doing all these things that I still do every day you know absolutely which is um and uh the only thing I don't do is actually do it with the those guys which is I mean I was you know working with Joe was very similar recently when we were working on the aesthetic stuff together that was very joyous in the same same way but um it's been I tell you it's been a long drought this covid has been a nightmare because yeah. I had lost my studio because it was part of a restaurant the restaurant closed uh, I was on the top floor of this restaurant and then restaurant closed because of COVID. And now then I just like, I'm like uh, looking, I think I finally have a place that I'm going to move into next week when, after the inauguration, but um, if it's still around, um, <laughs> but um, yeah. So anyways, that's my big takeaway is like that from buying, you know, um, Eli Janney's four track and recording with that and then buying the eight track and, recording with the eight track and 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 getting so much out of that and of that process and then getting pro tools and learning pro tools and then recording bands it was like i listen to this and it's just like all this like you know it shows how much how how much fun it is actually to record you know and yeah. that that and 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 that it should it, it especially when you have somebody else when you have people to record with it should be that um, it should be that fun. That's what it's all about. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much. It's like you know, this is a real Fugazi completist podcast, and you've really provided some awesome details for uh, for obsessive fans to sink their teeth into. So uh, there's a lot to work with there, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, if I could, I could I ask you a, one last sort of hypothetical question. Yeah, of course. Something that I just like to think about myself, uh, which is you know, say you guys got back together for like a real Fugazi practice and you were like, you had all the, all the old amps and instruments in the same room together. You're like, Hey, you know what? We're going to have a Fugazi practice. Um, maybe not even to prepare for anything, but just to get together and play the old songs. Uh, in your mind, if that happens, who kicks off the first song and what song is it? Oh man, that's really hard. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was a great question. Damn it. It's a good question, but um, um, I I I I think it's something off a repeater. Honestly, I think it's something like yeah, something like Blueprint. I think is what it is. Awesome, you know. Yeah, everybody might have a different answer as well, but it would be a joyous time if if that were to happen. Yeah, 
it's just something I enjoy think about uh, thinking about. So <laughs> when I do it from right now on, on I'll imagine you guys uh, kicking off some blueprint. Well, <laughs> I thank you so much for your time. Um, yeah, if you ever feel like talking about Fugazi more, I have plenty of more general questions to ask you. And uh, best of luck with everything uh, going on. I hope uh, we have a smooth transition to whatever future we're dealing with in the year 2021. <laughs> Thanks, Ian. I really appreciated this. I really enjoyed this. So thank you very much. And you just let me know if you have any other questions. Thank you so much. All right. I will do that. All right. All right. Have a good day. Thanks, buddy. Bye. You too. Take care. Well, there you have it, folks. Brendan Canty, so exciting. Really glad this could happen. Um, as always, you can reach me at fugazi a to z at gmail.com, and you can join the Facebook group, The Alphabetical Fugazi, and uh, we will be back uh, pretty soon next week with your regularly scheduled program. So I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we will be discussing Joe number one. Until then, keep your eyes open. This is my last